0: Welcome to the World of Speakers Podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money.
1: Here's your host, Ryan Folland. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ryan Folland, and you are listening to the World of Speakers Podcast, the podcast where we gather the best, most international, brilliant, amazing speakers so that we can learn about them, we can learn from them, and get their tips on how they are successful speakers around the world. We only deal with top-notch, and today we have two of my favorite top-notch people. These are people who literally travel around the world and have built a business from scratch, one of the most recognized, if not the most recognized brands. Whenever you crack a bottle of wine and pour it into a wine glass and enjoy there's a good chance it's either this type of wine that they created or you actually know about it. And hopefully you have your shoes off because this is Bonnie Harvey and Michael Julian who started Barefoot Wines. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome them. If you have a bottle of wine, please crack it because this will be the most entertaining 45 minutes you have had in a long time because Michael's a ginger and Bonnie is very high energy too. So here we go. How are you guys doing?
2: Hey, we're ready to get going here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, they may need a bottle of wine by the end of this interview. Right, they may need to, because you guys speak the truth, and
1: sometimes the truth is hard to, to stomach, and sometimes you need some wine to stomach that truth.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to wash it down with something. Yeah, it pairs well with truth.
1: <laughs> wine pairs well with truth. I love it. So, Michael and Bonnie, if you were to give kind of a high-level story of your path, I mean, you guys have had such an amazing career and story, and just you as people, you're so great. I've read your book. I'm a big fan. I've seen you guys speak. I've had you come to UCI. We've visited a number of times, but for somebody who doesn't know you, how do you take them through a short version of your journey, essentially?
0: Well, Bonnie and I, uh, we lived in Sonoma County, and uh, we lived in a little a ranch house, and one day uh, we had an opportunity. We, we had uh, Bonnie's client was owed $300,000 for grapes that he had been selling to a winery. And um, the winery declared bankruptcy, but not before we were able to negotiate a deal where instead of paying her client money, they paid him in wine and bottling services. And boy, we thought that was really clever because, you know, all of a sudden we had $300,000 worth of wine and bottling services, except for one one thing, we had to sell it, right? (laughs) Right. And so how do you sell that much wine? And we had to create a label. You know, we had to create a marketing program and all this stuff. Oh, and all
2: the licenses.
0: And don't forget ah. the licenses, the logistics and everything else. And, you know, we just got our butts kicked in the real world. I mean, it was a 20-year uh, process from the time we were in that laundry room until we wound up in the boardroom of E&J Gallo with the sale of the winery. Yeah,
2: it was created. a
0: it was a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So very slow. <laughs> so the idea is, you know, we were creators of a product that became the world's largest wine brand and it was had very humble beginnings. And you know, we asked a lot of questions and we dealt with people, we like to say make friends with people in low places, right? right. And what that means is the guy driving the forklift, the guy who's stuck on the shelves in the store, you know, the person who's in the warehouse. Uh, these are all people that will give you insights. And so that's what happened. So Barefoot became just a wildly popular brand because we listened to the people who were involved in the whole distribution chain. And also to advertise our brand, we never used commercial advertising. So what we did is, we supported local worthy causes and nonprofits. So we got involved with the community and we gave the members of the nonprofits a social reason to buy our product, which is a whole different idea than advertising. But fast forward, you know, 25 years, here we are. Now we have put together a book, which became a New York Times bestseller called The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand, It was on the New York Times uh, business book bestseller list for eight weeks. And we're very proud of that. And then we wrote another book called uh, The Entrepreneurial Culture How to Engage and Empower Your People. And we've spoken at 50 schools that teach entrepreneurship around the world and as many conferences and companies. And what we talk about is the lessons that we learned. And we started with no money and we started with no knowledge of our industry. And, of course, that gave us permission to do everything wrong and uh, learn from our mistakes. And we also uh, were very successful in upending the business. The entire industry was disrupted by barefoot. You have to remember, it was very serious. It was very square, very uptight. And here comes barefoot. You know, it's fun. It's got a slogan like, get barefoot and have a great time. So that's pretty much our attitude, the whole Barefoot culture, and that's what we're basically selling today. We're not selling, we're not selling uh, wine anymore. Now we're selling ideas. So now, Bonnie and I speak, and we we stand up and we speak in front of thousands of people at a time sometimes, and and we tell them our story and we tell them the lessons we learned. So, Bonnie, how did your how did you come up with the name anyway? <laughs> and whose
1: foot is it on the on the wine bottle?
2: Well, we had to, we had to come up with a name that was easy to remember and with a logo that was the same as the name. So people used to crush grapes barefoot. And so there was a connection there. And so that's why we put a barefoot on our label. But when I gave the idea and a rough sketch to the artist, she came back with kind of a funny-looking foot. <laughs> and I said, you know, we need a long, thin foot, you know, for our label. And uh, she says, well, just give me a picture. I'll draw whatever, you know, you give me. And so I thought, well, where am I going to find a long, thin foot with a high arch? I thought, well, geez, I've got one right here on the end of my leg. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put my foot in the biggest ink pad I could find and put it on some artist paper and sent that off to our graphic artist. And that's how my foot ended up on the number one wine brand in the world. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, you,
1: you've, got your, you've got your feet in many doors and many households. And it's a, if you think about it, that's kind of a kind of a crazy thing. Your foot on the shelf of many people everywhere.
2: Yeah, I say I wanted to dance on everyone's table.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, you guys come from from really the, that experience-based expertise. And I think that that's interesting because everybody has their own experience. And I'm curious, in your path, and I've read your book, so I, I understand that. And I know you guys as friends, but were you speaking or or would you consider public speaking as part of that 20 year process, were you guys more sort of behind the desk? And now, now I know, Michael, you were selling and selling is very much sort of a presentation, but were you guys uh, sharing this journey along the way or did your speaking really start after you sold the company?
2: Michael was speaking in front of large audiences with the distributors. I was not, I had never been in front of a large audience except you know in high school and college a little bit speaking I did there. But I told Michael, I said, there's no way I'm going to be a public speaker. That's just I'm not going to get up and talk in front of large crowds of people. Most people are extremely nervous, more nervous about speaking in public than anything else. The only reason I was able to do it was our first engagement happened to be a a large audience. um, At least I thought it was. It was over 600 people, nearly 700 people. And we were interviewed. So we sat down. We didn't know the questions, but I figured I knew all the answers because I'd lived it. Right, so That was easy enough. So we were able to answer all the questions. It was about an hour and 15 minute interview the first time. And after it was over, we got a standing ovation. And I said, hey, maybe I can do this.
1: <laughs> I love this idea If you didn't know what the questions were going to be but you knew right. all the answers because you had lived it. And that's that's a, a very empowering mentality when you're going into, say, an interview situation. And so you're yes. saying that your first main public speaking appearance, it was an interview. And so this interviewee or the interviewer pulled all those questions out of you. And maybe at that moment, you didn't realize you were presenting, but you were edified at the end with everyone standing and clapping. All of a sudden, you just kind of it clicked, right?
2: Yes, and what I've learned to do since then that keeps my nerves intact somewhat is I really am interested in satisfying the audience. They've got a lot of questions. They've got a lot of needs. And we design our talks to uh, uh, be very specific towards what the audience needs. So in a sense, I'm able to put myself aside, my ego aside, and just have this information that I, I really love to share with other people. And it's the information that's coming through me. And it doesn't matter who's giving it. It just happens to be me. So I can get my ego out of the side, out, out of the way and share the information we learned. The lessons took us so much time, so much money, so much concentration. And it was very painful. (laughs) And I'm delighted if I can save some people in the audience, that kind of pain and money, if they can hear what I've gone through, what Michael's gone through and make good use in their own lives, in their own business with what we've learned in ours. So that's a real thrill.
1: Yeah. Now, Michael, before we started recording, you were mentioning that you you guys have been busier than ever. So tell me about what's happening right now. And then once we get an idea of how crazy busy you guys are, um, I want to jump into some of your best tips. We just got a little teaser there about really making it all about the audience, but tell us about your audiences right now. I mean, I'm, I'm following you guys on social media and it seems like you're very busy right now.
0: Yes, we are. Um, you know, I, I mean, so as far as speaking is concerned, you know, Bonnie and I have been speaking now for three. Well, I've been speaking for four. She's been speaking for three and she's right. I spoke, you know, to sell the wine. But this is entirely different. You know, I'm not up there pitching a product, but I am up there, you know, trying to help people. And, uh, you know, Bonnie and I, we, we banter back and forth and people get a big kick out of that. She'll correct me. Or we might say, excuse us, we're going to have an argument right now or something. But the bottom line is that when you put yourself in the audience's shoes, and we always do this, we always ask the sponsor or the host, as we call it, what do you want your attendees to leave with? So that's the question. What do you want to leave with? Now, you're, you put all this money into this, you know, convention or conference or whatever it is, and, you know, you have a purpose. You have a mission statement. What is it? So we spend a lot of time asking questions like we did with Barefoot. We spend a lot of time asking questions of everybody. And so that's the first thing. Then the second thing that we do did that is, you know, you gotta get some time under your belt. I mean, for the first three years we couldn't get arrested. We were speaking (laughs) for free and, you know, pay to play. You know that one? So, you know, get your get your fly your own butt out to New York, put yourself up in a hotel and then pay to get around town and then speak for free. And so this goes on for a couple of years, but ultimately there are people who are in that audience who hear you and they love what you have to say and they love the way you present it, especially if you're authentic and sincere. And they take that feeling into their next job. Well, their next job might be CMO of a major corporation. And they say, you know what, I'm going to hire Michael and Bonnie. And so, you know, I'll give you an example. We we have a friend who actually owns a big speaker bureau in the United States. And we went out to lunch with him in Wisconsin, where he lives. And he's, I, we said, well, what's your biggest problem? He says, it's people like you, <laughs> human body, because people have heard you, and they'll hire you, and they will not take speakers from our bureau. So the thing is, what we've done is we have spent a lot of time building up momentum, and that takes years. So I'm not going to tell you it's six figures in six days, all right? It's another get-rich-slow scheme, I'm afraid. So then after, you know, three or four years, people start to call us. We actually get a call. Somebody calls up and says, hey, we'd like you to speak. We're going, you got to be kidding me. Who told you, you know? Oh, no, no. Uh, My CMO saw you speak in San Francisco, Las Vegas, New York, you know, Miami, wherever it was. And uh, we think you'd be perfect for this particular event. So that's how we got started. And so that kind of momentum takes place. And, you know, you increase geometrically. It's not arithmetically. So it doesn't go one, two, three, four, five. It goes one, two, four, eight. And so what happened to us is we got to the four, eight earlier this year. And we actually booked, I think, about 12 gigs in, I should say, engagements. Bonnie doesn't like the gig word. <laughs> We booked, we booked 12 engagements in six months, so that's two a month, wow. and uh, they were all paying engagements.
1: What's your typical audience size, or does that vary?
2: Oh, it, it varies hugely. One of the things that, that we do to get engagements is the people that have heard us speak will say, we will speak to you and your group if you get us a paid engagement or, or two in your territory.
1: Hmm, so you're using your audience, and this is maybe yeah. when you're talking, and you say, we're happy to speak to you and your group or a, a smaller group as sort of a one-on-one uh-huh. on the condition that they line up some other paid gigs in the area. That's interesting.
2: Exactly. So this one reference that we got that enabled us to get a very well-paying engagement, it was referred by a woman who had a group of C-suiters, really, a, a group of... Uh, higher-end CEOs, CEOs etc., in a company. And, well, her group was very small. It only had about nine people. Well, we went there and we spoke with her group. And then we did uh, two, two workshops. And they were about 70 people per workshop. And then we did a keynote talk. And there was over 600 people there. So, you know, it's a, a wide range. Our last engagement was 1,200 people. So that was a, a larger group. And it it doesn't seem to matter anymore to me as a speaker, the number of people. <laughs> I get as nervous with a couple people as I do with, you know, a couple thousand. So what the heck?
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think a lot of people share sort of that initial fear. But I, I like the idea that you're just as nervous if it's a small group as opposed to this massive group. So, you know, is there anything you got, do you guys have any pre-speech rituals? Um, I do my little pre-stage sway, which is like a little crazy weird dance just to get all the nerves out and get the blood Mm going. What do you guys do beforehand to sort of address that? Or do do you just realize that it's going to happen and use it to your advantage?
0: Well, aside from the psych up part, which is where you have to say, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be a channel and I'm going to let the knowledge and the information that this audience wants to hear come through me the way that they want to hear it. So you basically surrender to this idea, just like any good musician, you know, and it it flows through, you feel the flow. So that's one thing. Then the other thing to do that isn't woo woo at all, it's very down to basics. We have a goddaughter who is a uh, opera soprano now for the Houston Opera. And so we said, well, what do you do, Zoe? And she says, well, before I go on, I just put my lips together and I go. <laughs> 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 little, little, wait,
1: are you shaking your head or is it just a?
0: <laughs> no, it's it's trying to get, you know, your, your <laughs> loosen your facial muscles is the bottom line. Because when you're uptight, your face gets uptight. When your face gets uptight, You don't get the words out properly. And, you know, this gal's singing in six languages. And so she needs to really have a loose face. (laughs) (laughs) You know what another good one is?
1: You know, I have a dramatic art degree as well as economics and took a lot of acting and produced and directed. And have you ever done the one where you grasp your hands together, almost like your, you know, your your two palms together with your thumbs crossing and then you loosen your jaw And then you just move your arms like a, you know, back and forth. So it's a, uh, 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 it loosens up the bottom of your jaw. Have you done that one yet?
2: Not, not yet, but I will be in the, in the future.
1: And I I think you have a point about a loose face. uh, It's important. So, you know, there's also scrunching your face up, right? Like scrunching it, like you ate this, the, the, the most sour lemon in the world, squinting your eyes and then, uh, Trying to become the emoji that has like the mouth super wide open, like it was scared, like Wah.
0: And yeah, I, you know, Ringo Starr calls that the disappearing face, followed by the silent scream.
1: <laughs> I like that. So, so you guys are behind stage, uh, going and working out your face and, and getting nice and loose. It's like a, a warm up for your actual face. I don't, I don't think many people loosen up their face before they
0: speak. Well, we never did until. We talked to our goddaughter and it sure has been great for us because for one thing, you know, there's nothing worse than listening to a monotone speaker and you tend to be monotone when you're uptight because you're concerned about, you know, am I on the right slide or am I getting my ideas across? But you really got to remember that you got to keep them awake. They got to be interested in you. So you have to have some variety of sound coming out of you. You know, you have to have some layers. And so this helps us have a range. So when we speak, we can get low and we can get high. With a loose face. <laughs> loose, so loosen up your face.
1: You know How often do you guys speak separately? Are you most of the time are you speaking together? Because I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, you guys are very powerful as a team. And I don't know how many people are out there sort of team speaking. But tell me about that as a dynamic, because maybe there's speakers out there that aren't as confident by themselves, but they have a business partner or somebody else that maybe they could consider doing a, a, a combination speech. Do you find that for you guys easier, more difficult? What are the, some of the challenges? Talk to me about doing the, the double speech deal.
2: It's really easier for us by far. First of all, it's kind of like a comedy act the way we do it because we both love humor and it definitely keeps the attention of the audience. So he and I can kind of play off each other and um, do jokes and and I do a visual when he's talking, you know, the audience is seeing me kind of behind his back going through all these expressions and hand motions about what's going on. And uh, it kind of gets them involved in laughing, which is really fun. If I forget something, I just turn to Michael and he'll pick it up and he'll add it. Or if he kind of gets stuck and runs out of gas, if he hesitates and looks at me, I'll pick it up. So it's really a good partnership and making sure that we can get all the information out there and not losing our own breath. I actually had a coughing fit on stage once. (laughs) I had to turn the whole thing over to Michael until I could get my throat back and go back on and speak. Well, what happens if you're just an individual and you have a coughing fit? That's not gonna look good. (laughs) Me, I just hid in the closet for you know a while and came back out again. It was easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, when you are speaking as a duo, you have to get your handoffs right. And when you start speaking, whether you're single or a duo you have to hold your ground for like the first 10 or 15 seconds that you speak. Don't be waltzing around on the stage. You want to establish yourself and and this is body language. And then after you've established yourself, then you take a step toward the audience Mm. and that when you break that space that you've had for the first 10 seconds, and then you take that step toward the audience, the audience recognizes that you are engaging them and they will engage with you. So that's the other thing. And then if you do hand off, after you hand off, you take a step back, and you actually step behind the person you've handed off to. So your physical location relative to the front of the stage is a factor.
1: I love that. That idea of establishing yourself, you're almost establishing that origin point, and then moving forward towards the audience, there's an impactful difference. And then You've got this sort of away and behind. I, I see a lot of speakers that don't fully utilize the space that they have on stage, or they're unfortunately utilizing it because they don't realize that they're pacing back and forth. You know, people may be losing their message because they're, <laughs> they're trying to have a hard time even tracking them. So I think that that idea of, of blocking and, and use of stage is highly underused, especially when it comes to large audiences. where you may be a little speck from somebody who's in the back row of a 1,200-room, a 1,200-person theater.
0: Exactly. And you should also, as long as we're talking about body language, Bonnie, you wanted to say something? Oh, I do. I do
2: want to say something. Michael has a tendency to kind of overrun me. What do you mean? (laughs) I I have to jump in there and fight my way in. But, But other speaking tips, it's not when you're speaking, but it's preparing yourself to kind of be relaxed and comfortable with the stage. Before or as the audience is starting to come in, there's a few things that we do. We'll always go on stage and look at the whole venue. We'll see if there's a camera that's going to be on us, where it's coming from. If we've got a screen behind us, we wanna make sure that we're not blocking it with our bodies. If we're using uh, PowerPoint or slides, we want to make sure the Advancer has good batteries, new batteries every time. That's where we've had the most problems on stage is mm. with an Advancer. And you want to check out your speakers and your, I mean, your your um, lapel, lapel mics. mics and make sure that they're all working right. And get a feel for the venue so you feel comfortable on stage. You know how many steps there are to get up on stage. You make sure the podium is not directly in front of where you want to be or in front of your slideshow. Another thing that Michael and I really believe in is introducing ourselves to the audience as they come in the door. Whoa.
1: Talk to me about that. That is I, I do not believe people are doing that. So you're
2: we're yeah, we're, made, we're making friends in the audience. So we've got, you know, friendlies out there that we're talking to. They're not strangers. They're people we've met.
1: So instead of hiding behind stage, waiting for it to happen, you're actually like in the actual audience or by the door, like greeting people and saying hi and having that small talk beforehand. That's brilliant.
0: Oh, yeah. We actually had a host back east at a big a big college that teaches entrepreneurship. And uh, he said, well, you guys can just wait in the green room and we'll turn the light on when you come out. And Bonnie says, oh, nothing doing. <laughs> she says, "She says I'm going to meet everybody as they come in. And so she took one side of the audience, I took the other side, and we shook hands with probably, you know, 200 people before we went on.
2: And we give them our business card.
0: There yeah, you go. Give them a business card. Oh, and so now, now they have a relationship with you. They go, oh, yeah, that person. And you ask them their name, and you say something to them using their name. You look them in the eye when you shake their hand. And you give them your business card. This is all establishing, you know, a good, solid foundation before you open your mouth.
1: Yeah, I like to tell people that your speech starts when they see you. And if you are sort of on the side of the stage and you're nervous and and whatever happens, your speech has started and you're taking this to a whole nother level where you're making yourself seen. So you have control over when your speech starts and you're interfacing and you're already building that rapport. I don't think people realize the power of using someone's name and you bring that up. I think it's a great point that your own name is probably your favorite word in the entire world. It's the name that you've heard so much, like even as a kid, you just, there's a visceral reaction to it. So when you use someone's name after you've met them very early on, it just, they like you that much more.
2: Yes, they do, Ryan.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie. (laughs)
2: And, and, and Michael, what do you think about it?
0: <laughs> so then the other thing, too, uh, that we think is important is to show up like three or four hours before the event or even the day before the event and check out the venue when there's nobody in there except for the tech guys. Because we have run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of technical issues, you know, You might, you know, like Bonnie said, no batteries in the Advancer is really common. That happens about one out of four times. Mm. The Advancer will die. The other thing that happens is the lapel mites will die or something will go wrong with the lapel mites. Or you'll get out there and you won't realize that that particular stage has a place where feedback occurs and if you step into that part of the stage, you're gonna get a loud whining sound that's gonna blow everybody out of the house. So you have to know where those you know, areas are so you don't go in, into those areas and set those sirens off.
2: Also, sometimes the lights are so extremely bright, right in your eyes, that you just have to do something about that. It's just not tolerable.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that just really irks me that people don't seem to pay attention to or they're not aware of is when the projector from the PowerPoint is piercing their forehead or they're standing in front of it and they don't realize it, but they've got like the bottom half of their PowerPoint on their forehead or they're just blatantly standing right in front and then their face is all discolored and everything like that. To know that you have the wrong type of light on your face is so important because Little things like that will distract the audience from your message. And then they'll be thinking, does he really know that he's standing in front of the projector? They missed your last point. They're disengaged. And it's, it has nothing to do with what you're saying. It's where you're standing and the way that you're positioning yourself on the stage.
0: Exactly. Where you're standing and how you position yourself is the key. Because you have to remember that projector is sending out a triangle of light which means the closer you get to that projector, the narrower it is in diameter, that triangle of light that's being presented, that beam. So you can actually stand right next to it and not be in it if you were, you know, if you were right next to the projector. But that's probably asking too much. Uh, Ideally, you know, we've been on stage where they're projecting from the back or they have it, you know, way up on the top or on the sides – the other problem that we run into, well, Bonnie wants to talk, so let her... <laughs> I
2: give him all these signs like...
0: Yeah, like yeah. twisting my ear until it bleeds. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I had a, a funny situation, Ryan. They say that um, the best color for the camera for an audience to see is this blue. It's, it's a dark royal blue color, right? So I've got this lovely dress in exactly the right color. And I think, oh, this is just, you know, ideal. I'm going to wear this, this beautiful blue dress. And we'd gotten to our venue the day ahead of time, which we do whenever we can. And guess what color the back curtain was? Exactly the same color as my dress. Oh, my goodness. Now, I would have died. I would have disappeared if I'd worn that dress. So there was a cocktail party. I had another dress and I just switched the, the cocktail dress, you know, for the blue one, wore the blue one to the cocktail party and and people could actually see me on the stage. Right. But there's, you've got to have an extra outfit if for any reason like that. And you don't want to wear too many patterns. There's certain patterns that the camera will kind of freak out on and People get confused if they see too many colors and patterns up there on stage. It's best to keep it simple in your clothing. Yeah.
0: And, and like Bonnie says, go there the day before to see what color the backdrop is <laughs> before you put on your dress or your suit. We see so many people that tr- that think it's cool to wear all black. And then they stand up in front of a black curtain, <laughs> you know, and they're talking head. You know, they're just this head flip. If that's what
2: they want to be, fine, they've succeeded. But that might not necessarily be their their goal.
0: (laughs) The other thing, too, is we usually move the lectern, you know, the, the podium. We move it off to the side. They need it to introduce you. But when you move it, you know, we don't believe in having anything between us and the audience. You know, a lot of people feel secure because they're behind the podium that's a false sense of security. You want them to see you, they're gonna accept you more if they see your whole form because you have so much body language, how you stand, how you walk, how you use your hands. You don't want any of that to be missing. So there's that. And then what's the other problem that we we see all the time?
2: Well, it's just a, a little challenge that has to be taken care of once again, ahead of time. Prep is so important. I drink a lot of water on stage. I get thirsty. I need to have water. And sometimes the podium has a slant to it, and you can't put a water glass up there. It's got to be a water bottle, okay? (laughs) Then you put the water bottle up there. And sometimes if you've removed um, that stand altogether from the stage, you need a table. and They've got to hunt up a table and put my water on the side that I'm going to be on, to make sure i can get access to my water of course michael he wants some too so we've got two little tables there each with a little bit of water on them so these are concerns you don't want to get stuck without them you need to prepare yourself so there's no unforeseen possibly if that's such a thing unforeseen problems that will pop up if you can prepare for them ahead of time then you're much more relaxed
1: i dig it so what i love about these examples these are things that you have learned from experience, just like how you are so you are the authority when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's because you spent 20 years failing through it. And that's, what's so valuable about learning from people who are in a place of expertise through experience, looking at the back of a curtain wall before you go on stage, showing up early, meeting your people who you're going to talk to before they come in the door. All these things are great. And I, I appreciate all of them, but we could probably go on for another two hours and we should do that we should write a book together about public speaking through failing and all the mishaps <laughs> but i want to i want to get into your advice for people who want to get paid for speaking now we touched on this and it sounds like the first part is you've got to put your own sweat equity real equity into it and pay to play before you get paid to play so if you were to step somebody into the right direction that is speaking you know they're sort of starting off or they're already a talented speaker and they're they've cut their teeth but they can't seem to get paid talk to those people right now how can people get the fastest distance to earning an income or side money making this a gig that actually works what do you tell those people what is your advice
2: well first of all ryan if you've got an audience and you go there and you speak for free and they like you, the host or hostess of the audience can give you an endorsement. And with that endorsement, you use that to get another engagement. Okay. So now that the host has given you an endorsement, the host wants to prove that they're right. So they might even help you get another engagement themselves as long as they've endorsed you. Right. Right. So you're, you're headed in the right track that way. Another way is to give people your business card and f- without selling, which is, is a terrible thing, I think, to do from stage, at least in our position, our way of speaking. But you want to let your audience know that you are available, that you do conferences, that you, you do consulting, that, you know, you do go into organizations to help them communicate better with their staff, these kinds of things, all these things that Michael and I do. If you can say that during part of your talk without it being an ad, that is, is another way to help get the word out. It doesn't necessarily get you paid at that moment, but it does make more people aware uh, that you're available.
0: Yeah, like for instance, you might say, you know, that's a great question. When we were speaking in New York for such and such a company last month, we got that question and here's what we answered at that time. So in the process of answering a question, you can let them know in your own way, in a non-salesy way, that you are a professional speaker. Here's the other thing. Don't use the word public speaker. Public speakers don't get paid. Mm. Call yourself a professional speaker.
1: I dig that. Okay, so don't say that you're a public speaker. Say that you're a professional speaker.
0: That's right. And another tip is, you know a lot of a lot of venues will try to con you into believing that if you speak for free that you're going to be speaking in front of the very people who can buy whatever else you're selling in your day job <laughs> but you know and if you think about that that's a real con job they may but the fact is do they really want somebody up there whose primary job is to sell you a Chevrolet a used Chevy i don't think so I think they want somebody up there who is giving you tools you can use and sending them out the door with the feeling they want. So once again, yes. this gets back to the difference between platform selling and delivering tools and content. And so once you get a reputation, and here's the thing, when people endorse you, ask them to endorse you or what it is that you gave their audience that their audience can use tomorrow. Mm.
1: So not did I do a good job speaking, it's the people in the audience left with this as a result.
0: That's right. And so the reason you're getting paid is not so much because you're a speaker, as, as it, is, it is because you are delivering the goods. You are actually making a transaction. You pay me the money, I give you the goods. Here's what the goods are. Here's what other people have said the goods are. So you you are actually offering to improve their situation. Uh, You're improving their bottom line. uh, You're improving their ability to communicate. You're improving their company culture, whatever it is that you're improving. And so that's the way to get paid. And the, the other thing, too, is don't talk price when you are negotiating a speaking gig.
2: That's the first thing that the other party will say. What's your price? Yeah. You can't answer that. What you've got to say is, well, what are you looking for? Who's your audience? Are they paying to be
0: there? What's your budget? There's a good question. Yeah, we always take a look in, at any any conference that we're going to speak or it's considering speaking at and say, okay, what are they charging? and we see $300, $800, $1500, we say okay, these guys have a budget.
1: Yeah, so I love this idea of this idea of not negotiating price but doing your research before there's any negotiation.
0: That's right. And I think and, and that's the first thing is you don't go to the negotiation without knowing what they're going to collect. So you see that they're going to have 1500 people are going to pay, you know, $300 each. You do the math, you say there's their gross budget, you cut it in half for the venue, you cut that in, again in half You know for their overhead, and the rest is for speakers. And that gives you some idea of their budget. What we've found is you don't ever want to get into a situation where you're trying to defend your speaking rate. So what you want to do is you want them to want you before – they know your price. Yeah. Okay. So that's part. That's old-fashioned selling, 101. And so that means you have to be ready to understand what it is they want. Ask more questions and listen really closely. If they say, "What's your fees?", you say, "Well, how many people are coming?". And how
2: many speakers do you have? Is this a one-day event, a one-hour event, a one-week event?
0: And what do you hope to get out of it? Why are Why are we doing this? And uh, you know. Uh, who was your favorite speaker? Who's the favorite speaker you had in the past? And uh, so now you start to get mm-hmm. some ideas about where they're at. You want to work within their budget, but they're always going to fib about the size of their budget. And so you have to be careful and, and figure out a way when you finally get to the point where you're giving them your price. The way we like to do it is we like to say, well when we when we speak for schools and nonprofit organizations that don't have a speech speaking bu- budget, you know we charge two thousand dollars but it costs us three thousand dollars to do the event. So we actually lose money on it
1: right because of
0: transportation and preparation and logistics and you know all this stuff. And then when we work for organizations, We work for five thousand dollars, but you know, on those we still have all this overhead and everything else. So they get the idea that you're not making a lot of money. And I want to tell you, you're not. You're not making a lot of money on speaking.
2: Well, you always want all your expenses covered. Yeah, you no, no matter what else is
0: going on. And you want to find out what their, you know, who handles their budget. Like for instance, some organizations will handle transportation entirely separate than say. Food and lodging. And they'll handle that entirely separate from the speaking fee.
2: Schools, universities in particular do that.
0: And you want to, you want to determine all this. So you're talking to them about pricing, but you're not giving them the price. And you want to find out things like, you know, uh, how many nights will you have to be there? If you're going to arrive, you want to arrive the day before the talk. Because if, even if it's a late afternoon or evening talk, you don't want to arrive same day because there's a big chance that the plane could be delayed. And so you want to arrive early. So now you're talking about overnight, the night before the talk. And then you're talking about overnight, the night after the, or the night of the talk. And then you're flying out the next day. So you get those, get them to agree to those kinds of things first. So you're already starting to agree on things before you come up with the whopper you know, of what you're going to charge to actually do the talk. But I like to go in with a range. You know, here's what we do for nonprofits. Here's what we do for organizations. Here's what we do for commercial companies. You know, here's, you know, obviously, if we're going to speak overseas, you know, we have to make a big commitment to go there, you know, in time, energy, and everything else, uh, planning. And so we charge more for that. And so they get an idea of, you know, where you are. But I can just... You know, turn over all the cards right now and tell you that there are some sweet spots out there. If you're pretty much of an unknown, it's 2000 to like 5000. And that's with them picking up all of the expenses. If you are overseas, it might be 10,000. They're going to try to talk you into speaking for free all the time. So you have to finally stop doing that. We stopped doing that about two years ago. We just said, oh, no, we're not going to speak for free. And interestingly enough, we started to get, you know, uh, events where people were offering to pay us. And then as far as speaking, you know, in the United States, you know, is it in your state or do you have to travel to another state? So that's always an an issue. I mean, you have to remember, if you're on the road to do a speaking gig and you're going to make five thousand dollars on that speaking gig, You are out of business the day before the gig, the day of the gig, and the Mm -hmm. day after the gig, you are out of business. You're not going to be making money doing anything else. So you're sacrificing three days of your professional time, you know, for $5,000.
2: But if you want to work out a new routine, maybe you can give it to your local chamber of commerce or your local JC or some audience that's near you. So you are getting the benefit of their feedback. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with doing that free of charge. You also want to support your community, of course, and that's a good way of doing it.
1: Well, I love it. You guys are I think your next book should be the barefoot speaking book. <laughs> yeah. Speaking like bare, barefoot speaking. I think that could be an interesting, you know, uh, the idea of
2: the barefoot way, exactly. The barefoot way is to return on involvement. It's a different kind of ROI. Return on involvement. Being involved with your community, being involved with everyone that you're dealing with for your product or your service.
0: Or your audience or your sponsor or the company or their goals. Yeah. We call it ROI, return on involvement.
1: Well, I love that. Well, I appreciate you guys being involved in this World of Speakers effort because We really want to give back to the community and empower people with the tools that they need to become successful, not public speakers, but professional speakers. And I I always like to say that successful, and this could be, I usually say successful people, but I'm going to say successful professional speakers. It's not that they're doing things that everybody else cannot do. Successful professional speakers are doing what everyone else can do but not everyone else does. And your examples are so key of things that everybody can do, but not everybody does. And you guys have done it. And that's what makes you successful. That's what will continue to make you successful. And what you're doing for entrepreneurs is so inspiring because you are taking your 20 years of experience, packaging it into books, into courses, into programs, into talks, and giving it back. So if someone who is listening to this audio and is not interested, in following up and finding more information about you and your resources, well, they have uh, they have something coming to them. But for every other person who listens to this and is like, I need more of how to figure out what these guys are doing and get some more of your resources, where do they? Where would you point them? How do we, people find more information on what you guys have and the resources that you offer?
2: Thank you very much for asking, Ryan. And <laughs> you will go to dot. The
0: barefootspirit.com. And you can also tweet us at barefoot underlined or underscored spirit barefoot underscored spirit. And uh, we'll tweet you right back and tweet you around and retweet you in every other way.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, Hey, it is always a pleasure. I'm looking forward for sin and I to come up there and spend some time with you guys on your wine farm. And uh, it's been too long since we've seen you. So let me know when you guys are back in town and uh, us gingers will get together and, and uh, we will rock on.
0: Yeah, let's sounds, make it soon.
2: Sounds like an excellent plan, Ryan. Uh, we'll,
1: we'll drink some wine and uh, we will we will interview each other informally as we just share what's going on because the more I interact with you guys, uh, like other successful people, the more I learn. So I'm humbled to be able to be your friend and uh, and, and continue to learn. And at my next speaking engagement... I'm going to stand at the door and meet people and hand out cards right at the bat. I, I think that's amazing. That that's probably the biggest takeaway from all the stuff we talked about today.
2: Yes. And one more thing, smile.
1: Uh, I love it. Yes. Ah. That's how you win friends and influence people at the same time. Smile, smile, and then smile. Well, I've got a big smile on my face. I hope you guys too do too. And I hope your cat does as well. very good thanks
2: ryan come by anytime we'll keep the light on for you
1: (laughs) all right thanks guys we'll see you soon bye ladies and gentlemen this was a pleasure to bring you michael and bonnie two barefoot speakers who have been there done that and will continue to do it so check them out and uh, we will see you all online and in the world of speakers on our next episode